This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider. I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and in today's show, we are visiting travel insurance and specifically taking a look at the business models of InsureTechs in this space and how they are changing the way consumers are protected when they travel. Um, before we get into that, I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Nigel Walsh. How are you today, Nigel? I'm fine and dandy and not going to cause any trouble for once. I will believe it when I see it. Um, we are also joined by some lovely guests from some top insurtechs who are trying to shake things up in this area. First up, we have Alex Rainey, who is the CEO and co-founder of Pluto. How are you doing today, Alex? Very well, thanks. Good to be on here as a long-time listener, so thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming. Um, next up, all the way from Cork, we have Paul Prendergast, CEO from Blink. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. And we're really, really hoping that Nigel makes no more dad jokes relating to the word Blink, aren't we? No, <laughs> it's not possible. Come on, that's a great story. And a fellow Irishman, come hey, on. This is you, you, Nigel, you're Irish and Jewish, depending on the day of the week. I'm still Irish and Jewish every day of the week. <laughs> okay. Without further ado, let, let's dive into the subject of travel insurance. So um, to start us off, Alex, can you give us a quick overview of Pluto and what you guys do? Sure. So Pluto provides hassle-free travel insurance through the smartphone. That means jargon-free policies with transparent pricing, lightning-fast claims all done through your mobile phone, and human help around the clock. And our mission really is just to help people get the most out of their travels. Um, and so you are working with Zurich, is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that? We are indeed, yeah. So as you say, Zurich is our underwriter for travel insurance. Um, that puts us in the position of being an intermediary or effectively a broker in a lot of other people's language. Um, and the relationship with them is, is quite good because we each do what we're both good at. Um, so we focus on the brand, on the customer, on the technology, um, on the general user experience. And that's really our team's bread and butter. It's what we do extremely well, uh, building digital products that people love. Um, and they handle the underwriting, uh, the claims payouts, and these kind of things, um, the things that effectively they're fantastic at. So it works and, very well. And so why Zurich? Because presumably you had options. Yeah. So it kind of goes back with one of our advisor investors took us around London, and we went to see about five insurers in the space of about a week. Um, and we just hit it off really well and very quickly with Zurich. And we just clicked with the head of travel underwriting, who's one of the first people we saw there. Uh, we got on very well with their partnerships team um, and also importantly their head of innovation mark budd um, and they just they really understood what we were trying to do and they had a very honest acknowledgement of the problem that we were trying to solve and a lot of that is around distrust towards insurers and they are obviously an insurer themselves but they were quite honest in, in kind of reflecting on that as a problem um, and i think the final thing is that we both share the same values when it comes to claims. Um, obviously, paying out on claims and treating claims fairly is very important to solving trust issues. Um, and they really have the same view on that as we do. They think it's good business to be fair and to pay out on claims. A lot of maybe less scrupulous insurers, we won't name, um, try to dodge and, and wriggle out of things and depend on the small print. Um, but Travel think, especially, right? Travel's got a reasonably does, bad yeah. reputation for, oh, look, something's happened or you didn't declare X and therefore you don't get what you... Yeah. 
expected in the first place. Trip's too long, didn't declare you had a, an inhaler, all these kinds of things. Not to say that you should break the rules and rely on your insurer to bail you out, um, but they are there, forget, they are more fair, I think, and, and forgiving and understanding of the real world a lot of the time, which is brilliant. Uh, so, yeah. So, brilliant. Well, thank you for that great overview. Um, Paul, can you tell us a bit more about Blink? Sure, yeah. So, Blink, uh, we started Blink way back in 2016. So, it's a parametric insurance um, company. So, we where we where we fit in the whole ecosystem is interesting. So, we work with the big incumbents. So, we help them innovate. So, we enable them to provide new, different experiences for their customers. So, the first product is all about travel and uh our approach is we wanted to create something a bit different. Um, and we initially said to have a great customer experience, we needed to make sure the regulator was happy and the underwriter was happy. So our first two big partnerships were Munich Re Digital Partners and we were the first insure tech in the FCA Sandbox program again way back in 16. Um, so really we knew if we could keep those two parts of the puzzle happy and content, the outcome would be great customer experience. So really the product is... Uh, you're stuck in London, you're going to New York and BA, funnily enough, very timely. <laughs> your, your flight is cancelled and it's invis- invisible insurance. I know one of Nigel's favourite phrases, invisible insurance. So you don't do anything. There is no claims process. And one of the interesting conversations we've had with people over the last couple of years is they assume we need a TPA. There is no TPA. What's a TPA? A TPA is a third party administrator. Or, and, you Not know, a small tent. Not a small tent. Or Bad a, jokes. Okay, or, I'm stopping. Or, 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 or a beer. No, none of those <laughs> things. So it's um, so so really, you're stuck. And uh, Alex is right. The travel insurance is interesting. It's bigger than digital music, but it, there's been little or no innovation for 20, 30 years. And there's lots and lots of um, there's lots of latent demand for innovation from incumbents, and you could see that by them adding in lots of stuff into a travel insurance policy, um, but they're so expensive to add because you're not using technology, um, then they they can only really afford a small number of people to use that. So they're not highly motivated. So you might add in Benefit X and, and only half a percent of people can use that or, or the whole thing's not profitable. So it's really interesting because if you've got a technically uh, driven product, so you can do this at scale. So we're, we're us and our, our insurance partners uh, encourage users to use the product and they do. So, so is, is Munich Reed still your partner? Your partner? They're, they're one one of our partners. Okay. So we, we're still working with Munich Reed Digital Partners. Uh, in a lot of our deals, we work with the big insurance company, and they do the underwriting themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, big insurers once they understand, and we support them on that. So, you know, uh, you know, the resolutions really are for us flight rebooking, so we can get you to New York on time with that BA flight, uh, or if it's a simple delay, we'll get you into a lounge out of that crowded terminal, or. Uh, we're working on different ones, You're getting cash to people really quickly or vouchers, and that's widening out to different different resolutions. So, so are you a tech company? Yes. Or are you an insure tech company? We're what our customers want us to be. So we enable them to innovate. So we're we're not a uh, regulated insurance company, if you like. But the platform that glues all these things yes. together is exactly what you do. Yes, exactly. So so it's a black box. Um, effectively, what our partners bring, they bring uh, their customers their brand, which they've invested a huge amount of money, um, the local licensing and, and regulatory and compliance insight, say, in, in, in a certain market, and the underwriting. And, and the bit that they struggle with over the years is to be fast and nimble and technically able, and we focus on that part. Yeah. So you, your customers are actually insurers, yes. not people. I can't go and buy something from Blink. No, no. 
And then, so if I may, the you both mentioned claims, and obviously this is go back five years. It was the holy grail. No one's ever going to outsource claims to TPAs, even though they've been doing it for years and what's not. You mentioned no claims, obviously parametric straight through or yep. automatic and magical. You've mentioned that... <laughs> magical. It, Parametric is quite magical. I'm, very, I'm a big fan of parametric. We, we, do, we, do, we do love parametric. In fact, Laura and I both bonded over. We love a bit of parametric insurance. Sorry, please continue. That's distracted by your You've thrown me completely now. Um, both, so both mentioned claims. You know claims straight through. You always there for someone to handle it. But don't you then ha- throw that experience back to Zurich and rely on the Zurich folks for, for their claims teams to do it? How, yes. how does that work in your, in your, in your worlds? Yes, yeah, so it's certainly a trade-off that I think we have to make, like many other early-stage insurtechs. We can't, we can't do everything from day one, and that's why a lot of insurtechs either become an appointed rep or a broker, and they, they don't take on a full set of responsibilities or suddenly become a carrier overnight because it's just not possible. Um, I think one of the kind of the best ways that we feel like we can mitigate that because effectively we are losing you know a slight amount of control over that part of the customer experience and journey is through through working with Zurich, through seeing their claims team in action and through understanding the claims payout rates when you compare it to the industry averages, we can see that it's much better. We can see that they're rated very highly for their customer service. So although we don't control the actual decision-making process that happens on a claim, we do everything else for the customer in terms of capturing all that information, talking to them, communicating with them, helping them through that process. And do you get to define the journey as well that they go through? Is it consistent with the Pluto-style journey or is it a more traditional... Zurich, and again, Zurich, as you say, are, are, are brilliant in that they've got a, was it 99% payout? Yeah, lost so. two years, yeah. So in terms of the customer journey, it's, it's fully Pluto. So the customer will will go through a Pluto experience for submitting all of that information about a claim, be that a little bit of information or a bit more information. So you do ethanol? We do that, yeah. What's that? First so, notification of loss. Yeah, um, so what a consumer might say is just, you know, submitting normally your claim forms, printing it out and posting all that in with your receipts. But for us, it's all completely online. So we handle that in the Pluto experience as simple as possible, as, as digital as possible. Does that mean that you're the one who has to explain if the claim is rejected? No, so this is where the, the responsibilities change slightly and we're not actually regulated to, to kind of say back to someone, hey, sorry, your claim's been declined uh, because there might be an appeals process and other things that happen then. Once the information's been captured by the customer, it gets passed on to that Zurich claims team who are based in the UK. Um, they assess the claim, they do the fraud checks, they do all the normal checks. Um, if they decide to pay, we've already got the bank details for the customer, the transfer's done, the customer gets a notification, it's successful. Um, and if they're not successful, which we haven't seen so far, um, then they would say to them, these are the reasons why. Um, and they obviously have the, the ability to appeal that as well. That's interesting because I, I can see there being a, a slight element of perhaps confusion there if I'm a customer who buys my insurance from Pluto and then mm. I get a message from Zurich saying your claim has been rejected and, and you're the one who's had the customer touch points up to that point. So how do you, how would you, I know you haven't yeah. had to do it yet, but how might you handle that situation? Well, it's, it's in the same way that we have to handle when this same claims team reach out to say, hey, you're missing the medical report you referred to in your, in your claim. Um, we just have to do a very smooth handover between saying to the customer after they've submitted it, there's, hey, there's this company X that it might get in touch if they need more information or if they need to confirm the outcome of your claim. Um, and we give them that as part of the claims process, as part of the claim confirmation email when it's all submitted. So we make it as clear as we can, we think, um, so that if they do get reached out to by this other, by this other business um, firm, then it'll make sense to them. 
And um, how do you, how do I access Pluto? Do I download an app or do I buy your services? How do I, do so, I go and find so, you? Because we just said that I can't, yeah. I, I, can't, I can find Blink, but I wouldn't mm. be purchasing directly from them yeah. myself. So how Correct. would I find your? So you find us through the web, so Pluto.travel. Um, we did a lot of early experiments around app journeys, messenger journeys, chatbot journeys, and all these types of things. Um, but web, without a shadow of a doubt, is the easiest way for someone to buy insurance from a provider if it's the first time they're interacting with you. I think the, the barrier to set up a, you know, an app download for the initial purchase um, or the account checking, sometimes there's some fraud checks or some KYC and these types of things that people go through, it feels a little bit excessive. So we just tried to make it as easy as possible for you to, from hearing about us, clicking on an ad, getting a link from a friend, you know, you can buy it in under 60 seconds. Brilliant. Um, sorry, I'm, 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 I've got the, I'm really interesting. I'm trying to balance the consumer facing and the, the business facing, but I just want to yep. bring it back this side before we start talking about the market more generally. Um, I mean, you... you I was going to say, how do you choose who you're working with when you're when you're working with your clients? But I also know that you've been acquired by a larger company. Yes. So how does that? That's just really interesting to some of our listeners as well because you're. You, we, I think that shows to me a, a maturity of some of the technology that we're seeing in the insure tech space that these acquisitions are starting to happen. Yes. So first of all, you know, how, how did that come about? And then second of all, how do you handle the different entities? So you've, you're required by one person, but your own customers are, you know, ex insurers. Okay, so so if you take um, the the last deal that we went uh, public with was Manulife one of the biggest insurers in Canada. So we we sit behind their brand. So we're, you know, in a lot of cases, we'll be embedded into a, their core travel insurance policy. So nobody sees Blink. Mm-hmm. So our job is to power them to make their product better for their customers. A couple of reasons. Improve the customer experience, number one. Number two, help them go out and get more deals so they can be innovative. Because what we find is the big insurance comp- uh, incumbents, they're going, you know, we've got to, we've got to, keep relevant and you know everybody talks about the uber moment probably a bit less than we used to a couple of years ago <laughs> yeah but everybody talks about that kind of moment saying we don't want to be the the dinosaurs um so we, we provide the capabilities and we co-collaborate then and build a product together they're using our technology so what's their alternative they don't use blink or an equivalent glue between the system what else can they do uh, become irrelevant Fair enough. So it literally is do or die. Well, no. So well, well, Pluto I mean, will steal their business. So. Well, you, well, yeah. I mean, but but I, but I think it's not a zero sum game, you know, because I think travel insurance, you know, to your earlier point, you know, some of the travel insurance, not all of it, a small number, hasn't had a great reputation. So our view is using technology, you make things better. So it's not a zero sum game. You want people not to be disappointed. Um, and, and not to just sell travel insurance because it's high margin for the channel. And then the customers, the structure is wrong. But to- travel is quite hard generally. It's a, it's a really interesting market to walk around even the UK yeah, right now and to is. see who's in, who's getting out, who's changing, yeah. how you're making money in that yeah. space. It's obviously seasonal, so it changes. We well, see the, 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 one of the key problems that we find talking to a, a very large travel insurance companies globally is... How do you differentiate your product? And at the moment, is my call center is friendlier and I'm cheaper. That's a disaster of a business. So you've got to have something new and innovative. Well, that was actually my question to to Alex as well. Like we are seeing on the on the front end, we are seeing quite a few propositions come uh, for customer yeah. consumer facing. Um, uh, travel insurance and insurtech products, how do you stand out? How do you make me go to Pluto as opposed to maybe one of your competitors? Revolut, who've got their own built-in product. Yeah, I think travel Well, we know why you wouldn't go to Revolut. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) I think travel's an interesting space at the moment, particularly because they're, unlike a lot of other areas of insurance, which you've had many guests on to cover the different topics from commercial to motor, renter stuff, and even drone. um, You have been listening. Well done, I'm impressed. (laughs) 
Um, For an extra five points, no kidding. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, travel seems relatively undisrupted. There are very, very few startups. I don't really know of any other travel startups that are exclusively focused on travel insurance in the same way that we are, or even in the same way that Paul and his team are on the kind of B2B and the, and the technical side in the background. Um, so in that respect, we already stand out quite differently from the other insurers. Um, in that respect. And if we think about the product that we have today, then we can talk about things like incredible customer service, uh, human, human support around the clock, building your own policies, you know, doing everything from your phone, exactly what a modern millennial would expect. Um, but I know we might touch on this in a bit later on, but you know, talking about value-added services and thinking about what else can you do for a customer that's going away totally to agree. reduce the chance of something going wrong yeah. or to help them in a more proactive or almost instantaneous way, such as by using things like Paul's technology when your flight's delayed, um, you know, this is where you really start to differentiate and that's where you separate yourself from the pack. And, and, and just, just to clarify on the Revolut point, but um, the, the point being that a lot of people wouldn't go to Revolut because they, they don't necessarily know why it's there. That's not what they're looking at, at Revolut for. Um, you know, but at the same time, that is a brand that you are using that's recommending a product to you. So there is sort of so, both yeah. sides of that. How do you make people find you? Yeah. Make people find you. Revolut, they've done a great job, done a great <laughs> job of distribution, right? They've got what, 7 million customers now, so you pop up in the app, land so in the bank country. bank assurance is huge. It, yeah. It's almost like your, it's almost, your, almost paramedic. You open the app and you go, hey, you're in France, do you want insurance for the day? Which is great. I think we said this last time, it's the wrong time to buy a travel insurance. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We know why you wouldn't go to Revolut, because we've talked about it before, and it's the wrong... <laughs> the journey is somewhat off. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, there's, there's two main ways we're focusing on, um, on growing the business and acquiring customers and getting the word out effectively about Pluto. Firstly, it's down to partnerships. Um, so it's working with the online travel agents, it's working with the airlines, you know, a certain level of scale is required, but we're already working with startups that are in that travel space and putting travel insurance at the right point in the journey. Because sometimes customers want to just add travel insurance in. They don't want to think about it too much. They just want to tick a box and throw it in. Um, and that's where partnerships can be key. Uh, we're also looking at how we can work with finance brands. So challenger banks, I think, is, is one of the main areas. Uh, we actually ran a pilot with Monzo earlier in the summer. Um, and we're speaking to other challenger banks at the moment about how we can work with them to either bring travel insurance as part of a premium offering, bring it into a marketplace style product, or lots of other different ways that they're kind of are available. And on the direct side, you know, it's difficult because it's a noisy space. Um, travel insurance is extremely competitive. You're not only competing with the insurers themselves, but effectively the price comparison sites that are bringing people in um, and then putting different insurance brands in front of you in a very kind of, you know, murky, very price driven way. Um, so it's, it's definitely a slow burner that, uh, you know, awareness needs to be built over time through credibility, trust, things like our trust pilots call, putting us in the top three travel insurers in the UK now. You know, these are the kind of things which I think will get us known and get us out there um, instead of throwing what you could do. Some, you know, startups tend to do sometimes is throw huge amounts of money in paid marketing very, very early on and acquire your customers very expensively, um, which is, you know, very unsustainable as well. So, so is it just a race to distribution, basically? No matter what, if we look at any of the, B2C insure tech providers out there, the number one thing we need is customers at the end of the day. Yeah, I think without a shadow of doubt, any insure tech founder sitting here on the B2C side or even the B2B, I guess, to some degree, would say that distribution is the biggest problem or the biggest challenge, rather, that's probably a better word for it, um, that they face with their business in the first few years because it's all extremely competitive. It's all very price driven. We don't have the economies of scale. We don't control every single element of the yeah. customer journey like a carrier might. Um, we might not even have the, the you know, the in-house expertise all the time for some of these things. Um, the regulatory burdens are big on a small business as well. So it's, 
uh, it's definitely challenging. But, but like Jimmy with My Urban Jungle, he was talking about um, competition not just being the the other traditional providers, it's almost the do nothing. This is one of the, th- the, one of the challenges we yeah. had. Still, when you see the stats from the ABI or whoever else, the number of people that travel without insurance never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 40% of millennials that don't buy insurance when they go abroad, which is just, it's a, it's a mind-boggling number. 40 as in 40 40%, yeah. Um, I wonder if, sorry, just to interrupt you there, but I wonder if that's because a lot of millennials were brought up on the European health cards, so under the understanding that you didn't necessarily need insurance for health, which I think is what a lot of people associate with as travel insurance, travel, yeah. as opposed to kind of the idea, when mm. you think about all the stories that tell you, oh, my 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 horror trip, mm. um, they are about you getting breaking a leg and it costing you 30000 to yeah, back, exactly. not yeah. my flight being delayed or me losing my luggage. Yeah. But then the folks that do that do understand, I was with a guy a few weeks back that said to me, he doesn't have home insurance, and he was, you know, he was, he was my age, mm. but my age so mid early 40s uh, and he said I have no house or contents insurance or buildings insurance but he always gets travel insurance because he knows the cost of repatriation yeah. is gigantic should it ever need to happen yeah so there were certain things that he really valued home and contents not but then I was really surprised to hear travel was one of the big things that he was really worried about yeah I mean if we ever get the opportunity to sit down with a customer um, and we speak to a lot of people who don't buy insurance. We do a lot of our research based on those types of people and to really understand what makes them tick and the reasons that they don't buy. Um, and when you really get into the details and explain to them the potential scenarios which might unfold, that, you know, granted are not that common. Mm. Um, but if they do happen to you, it's going to change your life. It's going to bankrupt you. It's, it's the same as with the conversation we have about content insurance on a regular basis. You know, you t- say yeah. to people, well, you know, I don't need content insurance. I haven't got anything that's worth that much. But then you say to somebody, if your entire house floods and you lose every pair of shoes you own and every pair of jeans yeah. and every book, you know, how are you going to replace that tomorrow? And they look at you and it's sort of like the penny drops. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder if, um, so, you know, we, we touched on it a little bit here, but what what do we think that the this this applies to, to everybody around the table actually? What do we think the big insurers are doing wrong in travel insurance, or are, is it just inertia, or are they actually doing some things that are perhaps, and this is generally you know market generally, are they doing some things that are, are, are failing in order to, to capture the capture that forty percent? Because we've got forty percent of people who don't have travel insurance. Mm-hmm. It suggests somebody is missing something somewhere. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And from either end. Um, you know, and we're we're talking to a ton of different large and <coughs> company insurers. I think they, you know, when we started in sixteen, I think it was insuretech was almost a, a plaything in the corner. Now it's seen as a huge driver in the overall business. I think obviously when you're when you're running a billion dollar business, you know, it takes time to move. Uh, the, certainly, the discussions we've had, uh, they're they want to innovate, they want to move. We find that a lot of our our, our discussions start with. They, oh, it can't be that hard. Let's go build it ourselves. <laughs> and then, you know, and we literally put a six-month calendar thing and we say, I'll call you in six months and they've spent a lot of money. And it's very, very difficult in a large organization to get anything done at that scale and that speed. Um, so I think, number one, they've realized they, they've got to do something. Um, and, and stuff is happening very, very quickly. And it's, you know, it is a very tough business and you do see people pulling out of markets and yeah, pulling yeah. in all Because they the haven't world. got enough of a share of it to make a difference. I was just literally trying to find the size of the market mm. in the UK. It looks like it's roughly 600 million or 615 by 2024, according to one of the, the searches here. But is it enough? If you've got a a travel insurance book because you want to offer a holistic thing to your customers, but that's only 10 million of premium. Yeah. Is that enough to sustain the team, the people, the process, the regulation mm. when your motor book's worth 600 million? Well, obviously, you know, we always say, you know, to most people, insurance is desperately boring. Travel insurance no, is, is boring to most insurance people, <laughs> you know? So it, I think it's, 
it's uh, but but to us uh, because it because it hasn't innovated at all over 20 30 years it's it's now a commodity you know and some people are a little bit better than others at it but there has been no real standout product Tra- innovation travel insurance is a commodity or insurance is a commodity and travel insurance or both um I think in total, I think cer- certainly some people are better than others at claims management and brand and all the rest of it. But I, you know, I think the our, our view would be the parametric piece is going to make a huge difference to, yeah, you know, so so the the kind of people that 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 are wowed by our product are the people who arrive in an airport and go, oh, God, I hope Uber works here yeah. or Lyft or whatever. They expect that user experience and filling out a form and sending out paper and waiting three weeks for a check is just not good enough anymore. Speaking about airports, have you ever thought about airport self service machines? I got to, I landed in. Mm. There's one in Heathrow. Oh, is it? I've not seen the Heathrow. Two of them, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you in, buy, you land and you buy insurance. Yeah. Before or before you, you take off. You land and you, you tell it where you're going, or whatever else. I literally landed. I can't remember where, where I was, but I saw a whole host for a, one of the uh, big carriers that, that we all know, and they had a whole series or bank of machines that you could just go up to and buy mm-hmm. um, travel insurance immediately. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, put, put it next to the bit where you go and get your, your euro. If people still do that, a lot of people still do that. Actually, don't they? Do, you go yeah. and get like cash euros to take out. You know, which is a the airport is the worst place you should be doing that, and and b what most people Not use cards. Not a new days. modern card like a Starling Monza or Revolut, surely. But you wouldn't be taking the euro. Never mind. We'll have that conversation later. Um, in that okay, bit, okay. the services bit. When you come down the escalator straight through security, yeah. Yeah. having it on the wall there would be a great place to put it. Was what I was just going to suggest. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a couple of brands, big brands that are doing that at the moment. I saw some of them were being pulled back from some airports. Not sure what that tells us. Don't know how much the usage is, has gone for some of those brands with with those machines in the terminal. But you know, like the like the money exchange scenario you're talking about there. I would, I would, as a consumer, be quite sceptical at that point of buying it from the machine. That you could be getting ripped off. Because you're younger, more tech savvy. What if it was your mum, your grandparent, my mum? Would they be? Is it the age group that does that? Because I'm with you. I'm, I'm never going to a currency exchange at the airport unless I've made a massive mistake. Yeah, and like a millennial, probably look at that machine and go, you know, no way. I'm just going to pull out my phone and and do it myself. Um, So, you know, in that respect. I think it probably is more suited to a certain type of demographic. I'd be surprised if there was a lot of kind of younger, modern travellers that are using those machines regularly. So digital first works, right? Which is exactly where you're playing. Yeah. Arguably, a machine on the wall is still digital first, if it's still you're interacting with the touchscreen. It'd be very heavy to put in your pocket, though. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to put anything in your pocket, would you? To be emailed to <laughs> you, presumably. On the plane. But, yeah. but, but back to parametric, in the same city, mm. different trip, there was a thing where you could buy a SIM card... And it came with embedded insurance for the phone, yeah. which I thought, again, actually really good use of, in, to your point, uh, Alex, about embedding the product when you buy the thing that you really want yes. and then parametric for it to work. And, and that's, you know, that's, I think, one, you know, when you look at travel insurance, typically over the years, it was seen as the kind of little thing, the ancillary thing that 1% of people actually bought. So an OK customer experience, great margin for the channel. So that's not, that certainly isn't our approach. And we like to talk to... You know, we talk to insurance companies and then we talk to platforms, whether it's OTAs or airlines, and they say, OK, how can we differentiate our product? You know, flying typically is a commodity, et cetera, and using insurance to differentiate the platform itself. Well, when you when you buy um, flights online, you nearly always get a box now. If you're buying them from any airline that says, mm. do you want to add insurance to this trip? Same for train tickets. Train tickets. You better go into Virgin or Southwest Trains. It's literally, do you want to insure this journey? But what I was going to say was it, it would almost make more sense, as we were saying earlier, would be if you priced that. That ticket because you may bulk oh. at, pr- at paying a higher price for insurance, particularly if you're used to using uh, one of those comparison sites. Mm. But if your flight ticket or your train ticket is 
let's say 10 pounds more expensive because I know that you can get a decent I know you can get decent coverage to go to Europe for a bit for about a tenner mm. like you know mm. as a rough guide if that ticket was 10 pounds more expensive and they just said oh you're covered your insurance is all in there the minute something goes wrong we'll just give you the money back I know that no, you don't like that idea? I love the idea. Oh. <laughs> but you hit, you hit the IDD, the Insurance Distribution Directive, and a whole host of other things around bundling and transparency for the regulator. Explain that in layman's terms, please. You cut, If you bundle all these things together, you may run the risk of the of regulator foul in that they expect you to be clear and transparent about what you're paying your money for. So, But you have to do that anyway on an airline ticket because that breaks down to, you know, fees, taxes. So when you buy an airline ticket, that's already broken all the way down. But the, the key thing here is you're assuming that you're charging extra for that product. Yes, of course. So so if, yeah, you, if, you, if you build a model where, because if you look at a lot of insurance, a lot of it uh, disappears up in smoke in distribution. So the, the distribu- distributor gets whatever, 70, 60, 70 percent, yeah, something, yeah, yeah. something quite large. So but, if you look at the actual, what, what was amazing to us, if you look at the actual risk premium on a lot of these products, they're actually not that big. So if you go in and say, instead of saying, look, we'll, we can sell 30,000 policies, we can actually sell 4 million yeah. by embedding it into everything. And it's a you, massive change, isn't it? I mean, it's like, a completely, it's a mindset change. So yeah. under that circumstances, British Airways would be paying you? And to, yes. You, yeah. Yeah. yeah, not you. Yes. You, I was pointing at the <laughs> We'll, we'll <laughs> take the money. <laughs> British Airways can pay, I don't think British Airways can afford to pay anybody around the table. No. But of course under they can. That, under of course that, they can. Absolutely. Under that model, the airline would be paying the insurer, yes. the broker, the un- yeah, yeah. and then... But, the but actually, there's, 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 yeah. a, there's, a, there's a slight nuance to this one, though. If I was British Airways or EasyJet or whoever... Having bought Wi-Fi on a plane recently mm-hmm. reminded me of 15 years ago when you used to go to a hotel and pay for Wi-Fi. At some point, all that becomes free in my mind. Yes. Yeah. Not in Asia. You used to pay for Wi-Fi in hotels in Asia. Really? Yeah, I was in Singapore. It was rotten expensive. Anyway. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> but as all these things start to become table stakes and free, surely then the loyalty scheme that you belong to, whether it's the exec club or whatever starts to embed those extra things to differentiate so if you're a silver or gold or platinum or whatever the things are shouldn't the insurance be embedded into that a which would be great but b sorry alex it then goes from a personal policy to a commercial policy that says we've got your travelers you still need it yeah they've just killed you yeah i mean it's interesting if you look at i guess amex a lot of the other big banks you know they're wrapping in travel insurance into different premium offerings platinum tiers whatever you want to call it if you look at the products that sit behind Behind those, generally, they're pretty pretty standard. They're not that exciting. If you're thinking about making a change to that or making a claim on that, then you know that's going to be not impossible or a, or a pretty nasty customer journey. Understanding what's within that, how specific that policy is to you, again, is going to be pretty hit and miss because you're generally just ticking a box and no one's going to read I, anything. Actually, I, sorry, I read an interesting study about the number of people who have insurance as part of their bank account or their, their credit card package, you know, it, a, a common... Um, package and either don't know that they have it yeah. or, or they know they have it but they forget they have it at the point at which they need it yeah. or think oh it's just way too much hassle but but yeah like yeah. to be honest but that that's in the industry that's that's breakage and and that's priced in so people assume that only a certain percent of people will bother going through the hoops to register so because it's expensive to deliver there you know they only want 1% of people to actually use it. So I think, and we briefly uh, off-air uh, talked about open banking. Really, the experience needs to be, I book uh, my flight with BA to New York and my bank knows what I've done. 
So they and then that's yes. that goes mm-hmm. on to say the Blink platform mm-hmm. and something goes wrong, you're delayed, and then bang, you're done, and then the money goes back into your card. So you don't do anything. So it's short, magic. It's it's yeah, exactly. And uh, so every single thing about it is invisible. You know, so you're using technology at the back end to create create different. That's back to Alice's point about trust. Do I trust these guys to do it? I mean, Sarah's point is it's spot on. I, I don't think we talked about it before. I don't think anyone goes out and actively insures their car or their house or their bike twice or three times. <laughs> yeah. Whilst 40% of millennials don't have travel insurance, I would probably argue at least 10 to 20% of people have multiple travel insurances because they just don't know they don't what know. they've yeah. got or, or what it yeah. covers. And I'm, yeah. I'm guilty of that. I've got travel insurance and a credit card. Mm. My wife doesn't believe what it covers and, and her assumption is it can't be that good. Let's yeah. buy another policy. I'm going, no, how about we read the terms? <laughs> then he gets to the terms, it's like 60 pages. going, just buy another one. Yeah, yeah. Ex- no, but that's exactly <laughs> the point. I think, that, I think that's, that's to Alice's point about Pluto is that presumably your terms are, I don't know, six pages or whatever it is. Um, mm. I don't know how many pages. How many pages is Alex? Well, it's actually 50, but I'll tell you why. Oh, please do. Font size. Um, <laughs> you look at your normal policy, anyone can get a policy down into to, you know, 10, 20 pages if you, if you mess around with the, with the font size and the margins and other bits and pieces. Um, also, explaining things clearly can sometimes take a little bit longer than explaining things in, in shorthand. Um, so we've made sure that our policy is structured in a very easy to understand way and the wording that we're using throughout is super easy. And that's why we see our customers asking fewer questions about what they're entitled to when they're making a claim, they're more, uh, they're more likely to get paid out as well. And, and just whilst we're talking about your customers, so I, kn- I know that your, your, your demographic, as you said, is, is, is late 20s. Yeah. But technically, they're still millennials. So why are, you know, let's ignore the 40% of millennials, and I still mm. don't know what millennial actually covers these days, but let's assume that you're sort of between 20 and 35, yeah. um, who don't buy travel insurance. Ignore them for a minute. Those who are buying travel insurance are looking at alternatives. And do you think that's the trust piece again, or...? Yeah, so it's interesting because there's, there's two big facts we always talk about as a business. There's the 40% they don't buy, and then of the people that do buy, the 70-plus percent aren't satisfied with the current provider. Uh, that's a whopping number. And you know that, again, from speaking to these customers, comes down to the poor customer service that they're getting, the you know, non-terrible claims experience that most of them are getting. And there's a, there's a lot of stats out there which say once you've made a claim with an insurer, you generally change your insurer, like at the moment after you make a claim because the experience was so bad. Um, and the product that you're generally buying is, is relatively inflexible. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot of problems that the people that are buying face and there's even more problems, I guess, that the people aren't buying face, but, you know, maybe they're blissfully unaware, so. <laughs> blissfully unaware of, of the need of... <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a big part of our strategy as well around, around getting out to consumers is, you know, not only do we need to talk about ourselves and why you should trust Pluto, um, we also try to break down what travel insurance is, um, explain that we've got a travel insurance dictionary, we've got a travel insurance myth-busting blog, we really try to explain to people in very simple terms, like you would to a friend down at the pub, why you might need travel insurance and the types of situations which might unfold. And when you really think about travel insurance, it's the cost of, you know, a couple of drinks in the bar, um, you know, even in the airport before you've left and you could get a policy. Well, that's the other thing as well. If you talk about, if you're, I know you said it's only 600, what was it, 600, 600 million, million pound yeah. book, but yeah. a, a, you've, you've got a 40% of millennials who aren't buying it and then goodness knows how many people who aren't millennials who aren't buying it. Um, so there's presumably an opportunity there. But also as a customer, travel insurance is one of the cheapest insurances yeah. I can buy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking off the top of my head, my, my, my house policy is about, I don't know, 150. Like I haven't insured a car for a long time, but guessing it's more than tenner um and even if i take even if i take you know yes. i live in london yeah, i sold my car i you know I, i'm a little out of touch with that but um even if i were to take you know four holidays a year i wish that's still like 40 50 quid you know 60 quid so it's still it's still a, a cheaper policy so it, it's kind of mm. comes back to that i guess 
Um, the people who buy car insurance, you buy because you have to, because yeah. you don't have a choice. The people who are buying home insurance, it's because you know, they, they ascribe high value to it. But there seems to be something missing that people think, as you said, it's only the price of a couple of drinks. Yeah. Like, it's, it's easy, it's easy, you know, if you're going on an all-inclusive holiday. I'm looking at smiles in the room, but someone else hasn't got travel insurance in the room. I, I'm, I'm looking and I'm guessing right, by the way. <laughs> yeah, she told me the way up, actually. That's Rana, just shocking. You've been on two... Right, we'll have a word later. Well, she knows what to buy now. Yeah. So should it be an employee perk? Should, so back to where we go, it, should it be that every employee... Should you move out of the direct-to-consumer and go, let's go, go, go to the enterprise and go, mm. every new organisation can give it to their employees by default, and you then start to move into corporate... Corporate travel insurance rather than corporate travel. I, I think I think the problem with that is if you're speaking to a particularly millennial audience and you say we'll give you free travel insurance or we will give you free gym membership, you know which one is going to be more popular because people again it's that kind of. But we'll all take the gym membership, never go. Whereas we might actually go on holiday. <laughs> well, okay, I mean that's a bad example, but it's something I can have now versus something I might need in the future. Yeah. And if we're talking about benefits, particularly yeah, employee benefits is, is a huge, huge player in this space, and we've done. A, a deal in North America with a, a specialist employee benefits provider, and we're getting plugged into all this. But again, you know, I, I think a huge part of it is how you position it. And I love Pluto. I think it's it's refreshing in terms of the user experience. It's a great brand. It's any other planners or just Pluto? Number fifty-four. It needs to be an electric shock treatment or something. Um, but, um, Sorry, yeah. So, so I think, I think, ch- I think changing the actual messaging around travel insurance is key. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, there, there's huge benefits in having travel insurance. I think, you know, what the guys in Pluto and Alex are doing is is great and and targeting millennials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the empl- the employee bends are are uh, is a very interesting area. Embedding into credit cards, we're working with a big credit card company at the moment, looking at getting data from. The payments, so we know when somebody's bought a XYZ flight, and then you offer them or you embed it at that point. So there's lots of interesting things using tech you can do. So you've just maybe given, well, you've just suggested a few there, but before we wrap up today's panel, what what's next on the agenda for you guys? So what what's next for Blink? So so Blink is we we've closed a ton of deals. We'll probably be announcing four or five other big global deals by the end of the year. So it's it's really kicking off. You know, it, Blink was always around a parametric platform, so we'll be. Uh, announcing new verticals that are moving into energy, climate, and IoT. IoT is particularly interesting for us, again, building parametric products with our insurance partners globally. That is the fascinating thing about parametric insurance is that it's applicable to so many yes, different is. industries. Yep. Um, Alex, how about you? What's Pluto up to? So we've got a, an exciting couple of months coming up ahead. So we've got the launch of our mobile app um, coming up in the next couple of weeks to make it even easier for our customers to access help, submit claims, manage their policy, make changes on the fly, all these types of things. Um, we've got a couple of very exciting new services coming up, which kind of tie into some of the value-add services we've been talking out. So firstly, our partnership with Babylon to provide all of our customers access to a UK GP anytime, anywhere in the world, if you're feeling unwell. So much better that than uh, when you're stuck in an island in Bali, you go down to the local clinic, which is maybe more difficult. So, so telemedicine back to a UK doctor or... Exactly, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is this weird bite? Should I go to the hospital or is it just <laughs> exactly. a mosquito bite? Have another pint, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. They might not say that, but they do say that about 70 to 80% of the uh, of issues can be solved through a virtual consultation. So that's, you know, it's better for the customer, it's quicker, um, you know, less money is forked out and obviously the insurer saves a lot of money as well because you're only paying for a, for a virtual consultation. Um, we're working with the guys, Paul and Blink, actually, 
delay. So we're looking at seeing how we can work with Zurich to roll out flight delay cover for our customers to give instant cash payout or lounge access. If your flights are delayed, and then hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, we will be live crowdfunding on Cedars. Um, not only to, first and foremost, I think, to build a community of early adopters and ambassadors for Pluto as we kind of grow the business, but also to obviously fund that uh, that ambitious product roadmap. Just on the last point, do you, and I saw the partnership with, with, um, with Monza, the trial you mentioned earlier, do, do you think, do, do you think, do you think insurtechs like yourselves and B2C organisations have the same opportunity that someone like Monzo or Starling or Revolut does, given that those are transactional and used daily versus something like insurance more broadly used less frequently. Yeah. Are we missing out on that as a neo-insurer? Yeah, for sure it's harder. And if you if you think about as travel insurance is sold today, it's a grudge purchase. It's bought once at the beginning of the year, maybe once or twice if you're doing the single trips. Um, and, you know, three or 4% of people are claiming, so most people are never going to interact with it. And year on year, they'll just keep on buying it. And it kind of comes back again to some of our value-add services and really our mission, which I mentioned at the beginning, which is around helping people get the most out of their travels. And it's, if there's other things that we can do in their run-up to someone's trip or during their trip to increase that engagement, to support them even more, be that through visa, vaccination recommendations, yep. uh, travel checklists, these types of things. The trip-it type style things that are out there, which are quite useful exactly, these days. Yeah. Travel actually- itinerary. It's practically a, uh, you're practically a travel agent at that point. You're providing you're like a virtual travel agent. You're providing me all the different things I need. You know, it's a little bit like the you know one one stop shop. I go to Pluto mm. and you just cover my trip for me. You do. But my that itinerary. goes back to embedded and visible. You've almost then said, what do I really want? I want a holiday and a safari. But it's interesting. What do you really need? Yeah, it's, uh, one, one, one interesting one that we're we're going to be rolling out over the next couple of months is. Uh, it's so if you're traveling next Thursday, we're, we're working out exactly if there's a strong chance that's going to be delayed or cancelled and pay out the insurance before you travel, oh, before you're stuck. I, in have, I have thoughts about Ryanair and how, how effective yeah. that would be. So, so that's a very, very interesting. So using a lot of AI, a lot of smart people back in the office working all that out. But I think that's, you know, you don't want to be stuck in, in Heathrow when everything goes wrong. You want to. I'm just to clarify the example about Ryanair. We've had this story before about them cancelling my flight and me missing my, missing my friend's wedding in Ireland and I'm never, ever letting that go. Um, I, I am going to wrap I up say the conversation there. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting that everybody else piles in on Ryanair. I was just saying that that was a brilliant idea. Anyway, that wraps up today's conversation. Thank you so much to everybody. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Do you have websites, Twitter handles? I'll go to my left. Yeah, there. so uh, blinkblink.io is our website and uh, Paul Prendigas on LinkedIn. Is that blinkblink.io? Yes. Alex, how about you? Sure, so the easiest way to find us is on the web at paluto.travel um, and you can find me on LinkedIn as myself, Alex Rainey. Brilliant. Nigel, how about you? I'm on Twitter at Nigel Walsh. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. That wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you to my guests today, Alex, Paul, and to my co-host, Nigel. Um, As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com.